You're listening to The Archive, a collection of sermons and teachings from Pastor Mike and his peers from days past. Stick around for timeless truths that still speak to the issues of our days. Kind of an exercise. No biblical basis or reference for it whatsoever. But we'll tie it in in just a little bit. Pardon me? Oh, yes, I do. And... um, As uh, some of you in this room know, I'm a trained, licensed uh, marriage and family psychotherapist, and my background is systems systems training. Goodness, okay. Oh, you have little faith. I made 50 of these. Okay. Okay. You might want to share with your neighbor. Okay, so this little exercise is is starting off with this in mind, that systems family therapy has to do with the idea that uh, one thing works off another, that nothing is uh, particularly problems, aren't uh, centered in some sort of a vacuum, and then we get individually, we get help, and then we go home and everything else is, it's going to be fine from then on. This kind of theory has to do with the idea that um, one thing connects to another thing. And one of the exciting things about systems theories, uh, psychotherapy, is that it's easier to justify biblically than a lot of the other Freudian kind of individual uh, psychology sciences. So it's one of the reasons I I chose this. But I want to make a point, and if you'll take a pencil and try to connect these nine dots... And uh, I even forgot what the instructions were. With, with four lines without lifting your pencil off the paper. Four lines without lifting your pencil off the paper. I'll give you just a couple seconds to do it. And if you've done it before, of course, you'll do it. And you can just know that you know. Everybody, have you done it already, Brother Ernie? You've done it before, haven't you? Okay, good. Anybody else? And I don't see any uh, uh, lines drawn here. Go ahead and draw a line. There you go. Bob Duncan's done it before. Okay. Very good. We're going to use four lines, connect all nine dots without lifting our pencil from the paper. Okay. Looking good. Five, yeah, you can do it with five fairly easily. Okay. Okay, very good. Had to lift your pencil though, didn't you? All right. All right, let's go ahead and do this then. If you can see these nine little circles on this board, way over here, can, can, you, can you see it from way back there? It's, uh, here's these nine little dots. And most, most of what I just saw is, is exactly what I did, and that is drawing lines like this and not lifting your pencil. And they're very neat, maybe in a box or 
or something, and uh, th that's what's difficult is trying to do it in a neat, neat little box. But what th what the instructions don't do is the instructions don't limit us from doing something outside the box. So if you'll take your pencil and put it up on this one and come all the way down below the bottom dot and then come up this way, way beyond, and come over and down. There's four lines without lifting your pencil. There were two people I saw that actually did it and one person over here that was on the right track. But uh, did anybody else just do that just now other than Bob? Now, the, the purpose of the example, purpose of the example is going to launch what we're going to, what I'm going to share tonight in using the word transformation um, and what the scripture tells us about transformation. And here's the connection. In systems theories therapy, and I'm, I'm only using this to, to launch this off. There's what's called first order and second order change. First order change and second order change. So if you, for instance, if you get somebody in the counseling room and they're saying, you know, uh, Pastor, I'm really struggling with uh, driving too fast. And I say, well, what's causing you to finally think that? And they say, well... My wife told me if I keep driving fast, I'm going to get a ticket, and hey, a cop pulled me over. He just gave me a warning, but I'm not going to drive over the speed limit. Now, that's first-order change. It's changing because of a circumstance that could go away. Either my, the threshold of fear of getting a ticket is going to go down, and after a while, I'll go ahead and speed again, or, uh, or somebody who comes in with a chemical addiction problem and and they say, I, I said, well, why are you in here? You've been abusing this chemical for uh, 25 years. So, well, my spouse finally told me I either quit using chemicals or I'm leaving you. So you have this big reason to stop using chemicals. It's just an example. There are a lot of behaviors where this happens. So the, guy, the, the person says, well, so I, want to, I need help to stop using these, abusing these chemicals. And uh, you say, well, how long have you been... Uh, sober, or how long you've been clean? How long has it been since you introduced any of these uh, illegal chemicals into your body? He says, well, it's been three days, and I really feel like I'm doing good. Well, would that be first-order change or second-order change? First-order change. Because the moment his wife's going to leave him anyway, or her husband's going to leave him anyway, or he's just going to get tired of... Uh, not having those chemicals in his body or the physiology of addiction is going to get him back into the system of, uh, of, of, of abusing chemicals, and he'll be right back at it. So first-order change is generally very surface, very fleshly, very worldly, and, and it doesn't have any long-term kind of ch uh, make any long-term changes for our life. First-order change is defined as, as this. It's defined as making a change using the existing rules of the system. So when we tried to connect these dots, we were using the supposed rules of that system, and that is that it had to stay a square. Didn't we? Most of us in here, 90% of us, 
tried to do it within this imagined system that was a square, and we had trouble doing it. So that's first order change. When we try to do something within the, the limits that we have imposed ourselves on, on something or the limits that exist. Second order change is making a change, changing the system. Instead of just changing using the current rules of the system, second order change is actually changing the system. And when we change the system, like we did here, we went beyond the nice little neat corners of a square and we were able to carry out this simple little task because we didn't use the rules of the existing system, we changed the system. Now, <clears throat> you wonder what in the world is he going to talk about biblically with this. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring one with you tonight. First order change has been compared to the leap of imagination in moments of creativity. It requires illogical responses to contexts that exist. They're paradoxical and crazy frameworks. Now, this is not all that crazy and wild and far out there and impressive, the nine dots. But the example is the same. Second order change solves problems by changing the rules of the system and therefore changes the system itself. It, it, let's go back to the example of the person who is having a, a problem and they, they come in and want to stop and then you think, they, they tell you all these reasons why they want to stop. Well, my spouse is going to leave me or I already got two DWIs and I can't afford another one because it'll be a felony or there's all kinds of things, reasons why somebody would want to change. And, uh, you know, as a therapist, the first thing you try to do is really find out the real reason why this is going on and not totally buy into all those surface problems because most of us are very comfortable with first-order change. Because with first-order change, we have a lot of control over what we do. With second-order change, we lose all control. And we have to give it over to a new system. And uh, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to just read uh, beginning in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 3, 14. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now turn with me then to chapter 4. Just look down the page. Chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Second, first order change can be equated to the law 
and to, to, to living according to a set of rules that doesn't allow us to go to the left or the right or forward or backward. It just kind of keeps us in this comfortable little place, although in the end it's not comfortable, it's very burdensome. Second order change can be equated to change that's made by the Spirit. Change that's made from the inner man outward. Um, in, the, in, the, in the 70s, when there was the great Jesus movement up in the part of the country where I was ministering, the, we had people come to know the Lord in, in mass, actually, there were just hundreds of people coming to know the Lord in, in one service. You'd have people falling at the altar under conviction and accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, they'd get up in that altar and you'd, you'd try to get them involved in a discipleship group or program immediately. But the majority of this particular group that I was involved in and ministering to were dope smokers, little THC smokers. And among other things, among other things. And it was really interesting to watch how God worked with them and how God transformed them from the inside out to stop smoking dope. Because in our, in our first order change, our expectation is, okay, now get up off your knees. You've just repented of your sins, given your life and heart to the Lord. Get up off your knees. And by the way, you can't smoke dope anymore. So go and be a nice Christian and don't smoke dope anymore. And, and you're, you cannot be able to live with your girlfriend anymore. And, and by the way, alcohol's out of the, the rules. And you start listing all these things. And it's, it's this, this system. And, and the poor guy goes out going, what have I done? Where what was interesting to do is to, is to let them go with the peace of the Lord and watch as God transformed them by the renewing of their minds so they could prove what the will of God was, the things that were perfect and good. To watch God slowly move from them on, from the inside out and suddenly they weren't smoking dope because the Holy Spirit had transformed them from the inside out. It had given them a new system in which to live. Now, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. And uh, this is a tremendous story. I, I, we won't take the time to read it because it's probably familiar to most of you. Matthew 17, also you would find it in Mark chapter 9. Verse 1, six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garment became as white as light and behold Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him and, and so on the story goes called the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Now the word transfiguration comes from a word that's fairly familiar to most of us it's metamorphomai from where we get metamorphosis. It's, it's, it, it isn't a change because of some sort of a rule that is laid down to us. It's a change because of a process or a journey that we're making with Christ. And here we see an example where the same word is used, and what happens is we, we, see, a, we see an absolute contrast of the, the earthly body and the transformed body from one to another. 
and, and, and they saw Jesus transformed. Now, go over with me then to Romans chapter 12, and it's the same word here. The same word in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, this is one of my favorite scriptures to give to these folks and to give to all folks, and I, I would be included in a lot of this in some of my own mannerisms and, uh, and anger and belligerence and peskiness and everything else that, that I may have had in my younger years and, and, and still probably do to some degree. But the journey is this. The journey is to be transformed as we go along to eventually be acceptable to God. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about behavior. Behavior. I'm convinced if you've given your heart to the Lord, you're on your way to heaven. I'm convinced that if we would fall over, the Lord would return today, we're there. Not even, not even addressing that. What I'm addressing is the behavior of the human being. How do we change when we come into the new system, which is the kingdom of God? It says you've left darkness and you've come into light. You left one kingdom and come into another kingdom. And suddenly the rules are different. As a matter of fact, there are no rules. Christ came and he fulfilled the law. So all this old systemic kind of rule stuff, first order change, really kind of goes out the door. Now, there's some things that make sense for us to do, and we'd want to do them because we're human beings who should make good decisions. But in the long run, change that comes from God comes from the inside out. So it says, be transformed. So this is the sort of thing we'd say to these guys years ago, acceptable unto God. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. If you think it's acceptable to God for you to smoke THC, go right ahead. You don't say that, but you kind of think that. And what happens is the Holy Spirit eventually says to that person, like he would say to us about maybe other things, is it's not acceptable to me. It's grieving me at the very core of my being. You're my son and my, or my daughter. And I want you to be transformed. But you know what you're going to have to do to be transformed? You're going to have to be renewed in the way you think. You can't think in terms of the old square. You're going to have to think in terms of the kingdom of God. So, spiritual service of worship, verse 2 of Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the word transformed again. It's the same word as the one we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, believe it or not. And by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. I want us all to say that together. What we're going to say is that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's say it together. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's an amazing thing in our own lives how we can't really define what's good and acceptable and perfect. God defines it. And then it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us, and then we behold us in a mirror, and we, we change from glory to glory. There's something really miraculous about the, the born again, the Christian walk. It's a miraculous thing. It happens from the inside out. We can't quite define it. But here God's asking us in behavioral terms to change the way we think about our behavior. 
change the way we think about our behavior. Oh, the joy of walking where our temples are living and acceptable sacrifices. And the grief of walking in Christianity knowing God's not pleased with what we do or say. We change because we want to change. We're a part of a new kingdom. We don't change because of a set of rules. Some of us do, but we always fail. Changing because of rules causes us to fail. Then 2 Corinthians again. Let's go back and read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start. I'm going to read this whole set of verses again. 14, 314 of 2 Corinthians. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is... It is removed in Christ. So in, in the old life, we live with, with, fundamentally with a veil. And I know it's talking about the Jews, but, but there's, there's, a, there's a great comparison here to walking in darkness with a veil over our eyes, not knowing how to take the veil off. And, and so we, we walk, we're, our minds are hardened until this very day, the reading of the Old Covenant. And the veil remains lifted. And why does it remain li- uh, unlifted? Because it's removed, how? In Christ. Jesus Christ removes the veil. He's the one that opens up this little square and gives us opportunity to be fulfilled in everything God's called us to. And, you know, as human beings, most of us walk around thinking, I'm so limited in what I can do. And really, God's up there going, you're not limited at all, my friend, my son or my daughter. You, you don't have this little set of rules you've imposed upon yourself. What you have is an exciting, transforming journey in Christ Jesus. And I brought you to that. And I'm going to walk with you and take you by the hand. And we're going to run together. And we're going to be transformed. And everything we do and the way we think is going to be different than you've ever experienced before. And if you don't know Christ, you don't know what I'm talking about. Because Christ lifts the veil. The key is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, help me be fulfilled and help me be everything I can be in my career, in my marriage, in in whatever I do. Help me be everything I can be. And God just loves to take a prayer like that. He goes deep inside of you. And he doesn't always change the external right away, but he goes deep inside of you and you feel this transformation begin to take place. Verse 16, whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever a man turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. When somebody comes to the Lord, or I, and I need to admit this, and I'm, I'm half ashamed to, and I hope there's somebody else here who can at least identify with this. Is somebody you knew that needed to come know the Lord, and you thought about their lifestyle, and you said it'll never happen. They would never give that up. And, and especially years ago, before I really got an understanding that the Spirit of God is what gives liberty not the law. And you say it'll never happen because, there, because of this and that. That's, a, that's really weak. Very, very lame. It's really bad. It's low faith. It's zero. And, and I've been guilty of that. And really, what I do is I go back to these verses and say, you know what? When Christ comes into their life, they will change. They will be transformed. They will think differently. They will move outside the boundaries and limits that they've imposed on themselves through the law. 
I love the Baptist church. I grew up in the Baptist church. I now serve in the Baptist church. But I'm going to tell you one of the things that I hear in the community about the Baptist church is about all the rules. Yeah, all the rules. And you know what? We need to kick that off. Because it's the spirit that gives liberty. This, this thing about rules, and most of that thinking, by the way, is old. It's something that happened in 1958 when they were in a Baptist church somewhere, and it's still in their brains. And they need to be renewed. And there are a lot of churches that have a lot of rules, make us look like kindergarten. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Now the Lord is spirit, verse 17 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. There's liberty. Connect the dots. Go outside that little neat little square. So it looks a little odd. You did what, what you were supposed to do. Say, oh, God, I don't know if I can do that. I don't really know if I can teach that Sunday school class. I, I just, in the, in the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Do it. Move outside the line. God's a God of freedom. But we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. So we read Romans 12.1. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what the will of the Lord is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. And we say, I can't, I, I can't change the way I think. You go over here to 2 Corinthians 3 and read what it says. It says, behold, as in a mirror, from glory to glory. You get up in the morning and you say, Lord, change me, change me, change me. We get in the presence of the Lord and God is faithful to change us from the inside out. It's called transformation. Transformation. Not because it's a quick meal, but, you know, uh, microwaves heat from the inside out. It's kind of microwave Christianity where we change from the inside out. God does require some behavioral things from us. I think he had no question. He, he requires a lot from us. But you know what? When we do those and make those changes because of transformation, there's joy in it. So how can I tell whether I'm changing because I'm being told to? or whether I'm changing because I'm being transformed. One of the litmus tests you can give it is whether I have joy or whether it's a burden. Is it joyful to submit to my husband? Is it joyful to love my wife? Is it joyful not to use chemicals, abuse chemicals? Is it joyful to, to, to experience the presence of the Lord in worship? Is it joyful to do the teaching of the Sunday school class I'm doing or whatever, however we serve? Is it a joy? Or is it a burden? I tell you, our journey, our journey is a transforming journey. Look with me to Philippians, just from Corinthians, go over uh, two, three, four books. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. And it's, uh, this is one of those difficult uh, chapters not to read the whole thing. I mean, I, I'm automatically back to verse 1, Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Well, let's go on down and look at uh, verse 20, Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians tells us that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. See, I'm having a tough time transforming. Having a tough time changing. I'm having a tough time going outside my square. Why is my life not being transformed? Actually, the Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we are going, but it's where we're from. We hail from heaven. It's where we came from. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has given even to subject all things to himself. I love that verse 21. I just absolutely love verse 21. He will. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Ultimately, we know it's going to be a transfiguration kind of experience. Ultimately, we know we're going to be in resurrected bodies. Ultimately. But the question is, while we are here in these feeble, feeble, old, broken down bodies, what's going on inside of us? God is telling us that he will transform us from glory to glory. And then the, the interesting thing about this, and it kind of goes on to be a whole other subject, is that when we allow ourselves to be transformed into that which is good and acceptable and perfect, is that our bodies begin to take form and we live healthier lives. I mean, the end result of being transformed inside is being transformed outside. The way we dress and the way we talk and the way we behave with other people, it's all an outworking of internal transformation. An amazing phenomena. If I could go back, it's second order change. It's recognizing this is, this is no ordinary kingdom that I became a part of. Matthew 7.15 says he's these guys were prophets on the outside and ravenous wolves on the inside. And Paul was in Jerusalem before the council. In Acts chapter 23, verse 3, he's, he's, he's actually, these guys told the guards to turn around and hit Paul in the mouth. They said, turn around and whack him in the mouth. Paul turns around to him and says, you know, you guys are prophets on the outside, but you're ravenous wolves on the inside. You're, you're whitewashed. You're all pretty on the outside, but inside you've not been transformed. So we can look like anything. The question is, what are we inside? Simon, Acts chapter 8, a baptized believer, the Bible says, tried to bribe God. He saw the gifts, saw the gifts of, that the apostles were doing through their laying on of hands, and he tried to buy it. He tried to pay for it, tried to bribe him. And he was told, the intention of your heart's not right before God, the gall of bitterness, and you're in the bondage of iniquity. Outside, you may look like this neat little Christian, but inside, you're in the gall of bitterness. 
Bible says in Romans 2, 28, 29, there's neither Jew nor circumcised. Outwardly, circumcision is not outwardly, it's inwardly. It's of the spirit, not of the letter. Could I ask you tonight if your journey is a transforming journey? Could I ask you tonight whether you're being changed from glory to glory? Are you, are you struggling with conventional thinking to the point where you think God can't change you and transform you? Ask the Lord for creative mind. Ask Him for the mind of Christ. Ask Him to forgive you for being whitewashed on the outside. Looking good, in other words, and in the gall of bitterness on the inside. I know that sounds a little indicting. But here's the point, and we're going to have communion as we finish in order to commemorate the freedom of the Spirit of God that He gave us in the new covenant in Christ Jesus. God transforms us, the Bible says, to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The Apostle Paul juxtaposes being conformed to the world versus being transformed. Which is it? Where are we? Are we being conformed to the world or are we being transformed? Are we doing first order change where we get out there and by the flesh make all these changes in this world or are we doing second order change where this change is made through transformation by the Spirit? Do we have hardened minds or do we have a transformed mind? I want us then finally to look at 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, verse 16. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I want to read the communion Lord's Supper story from Luke, the 22nd chapter tonight. It's an unusual place to read it. Normally we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But I want to read this for one thing so we can get a view, uh, a view of it from Luke's perspective. And uh, if you would look over to Luke chapter 22, I want to begin reading in verse 14 as we prepare to um, take the Lord's Supper tonight. Luke 22:14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, this, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Brother Jim and Ernie, could you go ahead and come up? And we'll go ahead and pass this around, I think. Let's go ahead and pass the elements. <clears throat> like bread and hold it until we all have it. Then we'll pray and we can all take it together. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we break the bread tonight, in light of the word of transformation, I'd ask you also to remember that it's this broken body of Christ that has made you whole. It's what took human beings like you and I and gave us the opportunity to be complete or to be holy. He took sinful man and gave his body so that we could be complete. Take and eat and remember what the Lord's done for you.